Hey, Lizzie, I have a story for you. It has, I saw you from across the room chemistry, a few Destiny's Child references, and yes, one of those dreaded, what is this conversations. It's a misconnection. Welcome to Misconnections. We're both Elizabeth. I'm Elizabeth Via, aka Lizzie. And I'm Elizabeth Wyndham, aka Beth. Misconnections is a podcast that explores our longing to connect and the circumstances that stand in our way. Each episode will bring a true story of a misconnection and an expert guest to help us unpack it so that we can all get better at making real, meaningful connections that feel good to us. That's why we started this show, after a series of our own misconnections in dating, friendships, and family relationships, we decided to get some help. If you haven't already, give our intro episode a listen, where Lizzie and I share our stories and our hopes for this podcast. Okay, Lizzie, are you ready to hear this misconnection story? I cannot wait. Well, let's not wait any longer. Here's the story. We were learning breath control in the belly of the church the night that we first met. You, the lead vocalist of the choir, teaching us how to harness our lungs from the front of the room. You demonstrated riffs and runs to No, 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 No by Destiny's Child. And as your voice reverberated through the pews, we locked eyes. It was the kind of eye contact that I felt in my chest. The kind of eye contact that seemed singular, significant, solely mine. Your eyes were brown, but that feels beside the point. I'd ridden my bike to the rehearsal that night, wearing a tank top and short jean cutoffs. The wind licked at my skin as I zipped through the streets. I was wearing a chain, too. Like somehow, I had known something exciting was going to happen. From the moment we locked eyes, our courtship was a years-long slow burn. I wasn't sure the flame would ever actually catch. Stolen glances at group hangs, lingering pleasantries and conversations that I wanted to be more but never fully ignited, Even still, there was a spark of possibility whenever we were in the same place. Social media flirtation fanned the embers as we traded likes and comments on our various posts to let each other know we were watching. And then, finally, you sent the DM. It was innocuous enough, an invitation to go to a show you'd been working on. I was excited, but equally leery unclear on your intentions. Was the DM simply some self-promotion for your show? Or did it mean more? An invitation to something else entirely. I was also skeptical of our general compatibility. You, 10 years older than my 24. You, Ivy League educated with a carefully crafted academic persona and towering stack of books by your bedside to match. 
Your whole deal felt like a performance, and I was hesitant to audition for a role in it. When you asked for my number to send over the details for your show, I thought back to the charge of our choir rehearsal eye contact. Yeah, 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 yeah. I gave you my number and waited. After a few days of silence, I called you out on it. Am I going to die waiting on this invitation? I messaged you. You enjoyed my bite and wanted more. We went on a proper date a few days after the show to a terrible restaurant some coworker of mine had recommended. We bonded over the mediocre entrees and then bailed for the warm embrace of the In-N-Out by your apartment. With our lips salty from the french fries, we started singing So Good by Destiny's Child. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing mighty fine. Last time I seen you, it's been a long time. Stop smiling at me. Get that look off your face. Please don't even front. Stop being so fake. Laughing and belting the lyrics, we both somehow remembered we always laughed so easily together. (laughs) (laughs) We ventured back to your apartment giddily with our bodies buzzing. The night stretched out before us, begging to be filled. I slept over the first time of many. I quickly learned how you ascribed weight and importance to everything and every moment you experienced. Your talk was always deep, profound, and intellectual. You were compelled to do grandiose things like read poetry in the bathtub while drinking bourbon at 2 a.m. All I wanted to do was rip your clothes off and go to sleep at a reasonable hour for work the next day. To you, everything had to have a meaning. I found myself swept up in you anyway, captivated by my physical attraction to you and our shared sense of humor. I brought a levity to your performance that pulled you back down to earth. We had similar relationships to our families. Queer boys raised in religious upbringings who then came out. I appreciated that, like me, you did not cut off your family. You still nurtured a connection with them, despite not being completely accepting. We began seeing each other regularly, and in time, I found us moving towards something that felt like a relationship. Talking on the phone instead of texting. Giving each other flowers going out to dinner and the movies, and then meeting each other's people. While we never talked directly about being in a fully-fledged, committed relationship together, the way we engaged with each other had the trappings of something more than just friends with benefits. We were becoming embedded in one another's worlds, expanding beyond just the two of us. It wasn't formal, but it felt intimate. I was increasingly vulnerable and open with you, but you never did the same in return. In fact, I began to notice the opposite. As you maintained your distance and we continued to avoid the conversation about what we were doing, 
and where we were going. At a certain point, it seemed like the more I shared about myself with you, the more you pulled away. What is this? I wondered, first to myself, and then finally to you. We had made plans to go to a museum together, and were waiting outside in the line for tickets, panting in the blistering heat. I asked what you were getting into that weekend, and as you tenderly wiped the beating sweat off my forehead, you casually told me that you had a date with someone else. We'd never talked about exclusivity, but you texted my best friend regularly, and I guess I thought that meant something. We never actually defined our relationship, but you cared about my family and I yours. You knew the names of the people in my life who I loved, which was indicative of a level of seriousness for me. Our lives had woven together and it felt like there was so much more between us than the sort of thing you'd just brush aside as a casual physical fling. I headed to your place wearing short shorts with a bottle of wine in hand. I knew I had to address all of this head on and finally have a direct conversation with you about what we wanted from each other. What is this? I finally asked you months into whatever it was. You sighed, your head sunk, and there was my answer. I spent the night, but we didn't have sex. I left feeling powerful the next morning, like I'd gotten clarity and shirked something that wasn't worth my investment. Over time, the shadows started to creep in. My mind spiraled in every which way as I replayed our relationship over and over again in my head. Did I do something wrong? Had I missed signs along the way to stop giving energy and time to this? Should I have tried to become someone different? I had already bought you a birthday gift and decided to still give it to you. When I dropped it off, you went in for a kiss and I pulled away. That's the moment when it officially hit me. What was I doing? Why had I wasted all of this time and energy on you? I drove home crying, singing Dion Warwick. I know I'll never love this way again, so I'll keep holding on before the good is gone. I know I'll never love this way again. When I think back on you, the eye contact, the bourbon, the museum, I see a version of myself who didn't yet know how to take responsibility for my own happiness. I came away from the wreckage with a better understanding of the type of attachment I need from a romantic partner and an extreme aversion to anyone remotely like you. Thespians, Scorpios, academics. Most of all, I hear Erica Badu's voice refraining in my head. 
Nobody ever told you. All you must hold on to is you, is you, is you. Pack light. So, Lizzie, <laughs> what do you think? How do you feel? Well, how don't I feel? I mean, I really felt every part of that story, like the fun of a slow burn, the excitement of something new that feels meaningful, uh, the pit in your stomach when you realize that maybe you're not really on the same page for you know, what you want or maybe how meaningful it is, the fear of what that means. And then the disappointment of an end to something that you didn't really want to end. But I think the real emotion for me is in that last line that nobody ever told you all you must hold on to is you, is you, is you. And I so admire this storyteller and how an experience that made him question himself turned into an opportunity to find a little bit more of himself. Uh, and I, I love that for him. Yeah, me too. When I first interacted with the story, I realized that the story was about a situationship. And I just had so much respect for the storyteller and how they navigated it. I mean, you can feel like the lovely attraction, the humor that they embodied as individuals. But then also, I personally felt the tension mm -hmm. that this storyteller was experiencing of what is this? And that exhausts me. Yes. <laughs> so I quickly like realized I have some things to learn about situationships because the culture to which I was brought up in would in probably deem situationships as bad, but they're not inherently bad. They're just a different mode of connection, a different way of having a relationship. And that's what we are going to explore today. Right, because this story of a situationship has a, maybe it's in a bit of a negative tone in terms of the experience that this storyteller had, but that's not necessarily indicative of every time you're in a gray area in some sort of connection. So I love that we're going to get to talk about that today. I'm very excited and personally interested in taking notes, obviously. <laughs> Me too. So for this next part of the episode, we're going to bring in a special guest to talk to us about situationships and how we can find a version of a connection within or outside that feels good to us. Maisha Battle is a certified sex and dating coach, educator, and author. Through coaching and her sex-positive podcast, Down for Whatever and Dating White, Maisha provides empowering sexual information and encourages the quest for sexual satisfaction, no matter the person's race, gender, orientation, ability, or age. Her book, This is Supposed to be Fun, How to Find Joy in Hooking Up, Settling Down, and Everything in Between is available now wherever you like to buy books. And for more information, go to myeshabattle.com. We stumbled upon Maisha's article on Time.com called Situationships Are the Future of Dating. That's not a bad thing. While we were researching situationships for this episode, and my perspective on situationships really shifted. It was like a seismic shift for me. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Maisha Battle to Miss Connections. 
Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. Thank you for being here. Um, We will get to everything that we absolutely loved about this article and are loving about your book. But before we get there, we'd love to know, how did you feel hearing this story? Yeah, I mean, I felt I felt all the feelings um, because I've been there. I've probably dated this guy. I mean, I feel like <laughs> he is in my past. Yes. Uh, we had a situationship. Um, yeah, it just it was so relatable on those levels that that you both mentioned. You know, the initial attraction, and even that is like fuzzy, right? Like mm-hmm. the initial connection happened over social media, so it's like. Also, like, there's just so many, like, murky things that if this person were my client, I would be, like, like urging them to get more clarity even Mm. from those early stages. Yeah. My coaching hat kind of went on as well. Like, how would I have navigated this person's experience as they were going through it? Yeah. I feel like everybody needs a Maisha. (laughs) Yeah. I certainly do. I do too. (laughs) So much murkiness all the time. All the time. (laughs) We were so impressed with your perspective on situationships when we were engaging the Time article. And we just want to say, listeners, uh, we highly recommend reading it and we'll be referencing it throughout this conversation. So it's linked in our show notes. But before we go any further, Can you explain what a situationship is and what are some of the signs that like you are in a situationship? Yes. So a situationship is a relationship. I want to put that out there. It is actually a relationship, Mm -hmm. but it's defined by being ambiguous. Mm -hmm. It is more intimate than a casual hookup. And the time span is really important too. So it's not something that you have as like a fling and then it's over. It it seems to kind of go on for a longer period of time. And this person maybe gets to see parts of you that you wouldn't expose yourself to or expose them to, you know, if it was something more casual. And it's it's like a step beyond, I want to say, friends with benefits, because friends with benefits, you really start with this foundation of like, I like you, you know? And then hookups are more like there's a physical attraction and that's what drives everything. But situationships sort of start in this like romantic courting way that a lot of us are really socialized to believe is going to lead eventually to a relationship. And so, well, a long-term relationship, I should say. And so without that, it can feel like a loss or, you know, that was a waste of time. And in the time piece, I really tried to take that apart and think about, well, what's the value of spending time with someone who gets to know you on this intimate level? And then, you know, yeah, who isn't in your life anymore? But a lot of people that we date and love aren't in our lives anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. Yeah, it does seem to be kind of defined by the gray area. Mm -hmm. And in this story, we're hearing you know, the version of a situationship that is defined by the gray area because it's not being talked about. Yeah. But then I think also, you know, in your article, you mentioned that there is something to be gained through purposefully staying in the gray area. And I do want to acknowledge that this is a story of two men who are in a relationship. And I think it's really easy for straight folks like me to enter into this conversation defaulting to heterosexual dating concepts, which tend to be, like you're saying, more linear and kind of have these very specific and prescribed paths forward where 
you know, we assign meaning to that path. And if we're not moving down that path, that is something negative or it's a waste of time or something like that. But what I've heard from my queer friends is that those same defaults don't always exist in queer dating relationships and oftentimes are more open and creative. And so I'd love to know, how do you think about situationships from that lens? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm all in favor of people queering all relationships, (laughs) (laughs) Um, whether they're your friends, your romantic partners, everything should just be a lot more queer because we'd have a lot more freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, What being in a queer community means is that you have to kind of create your own rules because the world has made it so the world has not allowed you to take the relationship escalator. So that linear path that you mentioned is really called a relationship escalator. And I just attended the ASECT conference, which is the American Association for Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Just a bit of a mouthful, (laughs) but it was in San Francisco this Mm -hmm. year. So I went and there was actually a wonderful presentation about a romanticism mm-hmm. and the person who was you know discussing this concept was talking about the relationship escalator and why that metaphor is so important is that it only goes one way up in intensity and you can't get off mm-hmm. when you are on an escalator you cannot get off until you have reached the end which is you know the 2.5 kids the white picket fence and the marriage the queering of relationships means we can think about a relationship structure or many structures that don't adhere to that escalator. And that means you can get on when you want, you can get off when you want, hopefully, you know, in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. And you can have deep relationships with people in many different kinds of ways. And that's not to say that in queer relationships, there isn't also an expectation that you go up the escalator too. And monogamy, of course, is something that people do strive for. But there are others who believe that there is space for exploring romantic partnership and even sexual partnership that doesn't necessarily have to adhere to those those steps that are prescribed by society. I love that. Yeah. We were reflecting upon our time when we were getting to know you and how you said time was not expecting a positive article around situationships. And that made us kind of like ask ourselves, well, what is the expected take on situationships and why is that? And what are some of the reasons why we might have like bad tastes in our mouths going into a situationship or when we find ourselves in one? Yes, absolutely. And I don't know exactly if the editor of that piece expected something negative, but she did say it wasn't what she was expecting. (laughs) And then she also felt like she learned something from the piece when I, you know, when all was said and done. So I got some really positive feedback about it. But I think that the expected take about situationships, which when the term was coined, there was this piece that came out. The author of that piece described something similar to what we heard our storyteller tell, which was, you know, she had had this relationship with someone who was very undefined. And in the conclusion of her piece, she is very clear that this was a negative experience for her and something to be avoided. So I I really wanted to go back to that, you know, sort of source of where this came from but also look to, well, has it evolved? Because yeah. I believe that piece was back in 20- 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, a lot's changed and the uh, use of apps has really changed how we think about relationships and we engage with them. So yeah, I did a little digging and the year-end report from Tinder basically suggested that, you know, people are really looking to this as a way to explore relationships rather than it being something that, you know, doesn't work for people. There's something that is working for people when it comes to situationships. I couldn't deny that. So I think the expected take is it's bad, avoid it. You know, if someone's not, you know, sealing the deal and committing when you want them to move on, don't let them waste your time. And I think the new take on this is, are situationships something that can work for all parties involved until they don't? Yeah, I was kind of wondering if the escalation of acceptance of situationships or being more open to it did occur due to the pandemic because people were isolated and lonely and then they just wanted to be present with somebody. They wanted intimacy, but they didn't necessarily have that linear point of view of going up the escalator. So I was just kind of curious, do you think that the pandemic had part? Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic, (laughs) things that happened before the pandemic, which we will not name, (laughs) but (laughs) I think people in general feel like they are dating at the end of the world. I just, my clients feel like that. And so I think that was definitely exacerbated during the pandemic where it felt like there was so much distance between us generally. And for people who were unpartnered or didn't have any romantic prospects, it was just completely isolating. And People either fell into relationships or they parted ways with people because those relationships didn't work. But I do think that it's that sense of I'll take what I can get in terms of intimacy because app dating has created an environment where it does feel like you're shopping for sex, for someone to have dinner with, for someone to rub your feet, <laughs> you know, any number of things. That's actually on my bio. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm looking for. Pizza and feet rubs. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, you can get really specific. And so, you know, it does kind of take the, I don't know, the joie de vivre from dating that used to happen, at least when I'm an elder millennial. So I used to go out and hook up with people or like talk to them and give them my number and all that stuff. And now I have clients who are just like, how do you meet a person? Yeah. You know, and I feel that. So I do think situationships have kind of come on the rise because they're trying to fill this void that's been created by so many social issues that have come up. And also this general feeling that like, well, you know, the world might burst into flames in two days. So I maybe you should just take what I can get. <laughs> it does seem like the pandemic as a whole was an opportunity to deconstruct ideas yeah. that we had. You know, when faced with what feels like the end of the world. And I think for a lot of people, situations throughout felt like their world was ending. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on a macro and a micro level, it it was very existential and continues to be. And so I think that situationships are an opportunity to disconnect from the longer term goals and that kind of prescribed relationship escalator that you mentioned and focus more on, you know, connection and what feels good to you. And I love that that's something that you mentioned in this article is that you work with clients who are looking for long-term relationships, but you still encourage them 
to explore different types of connections outside of their goals uh, and that situationships have been valuable for many of your clients. I think that on the other hand, I'm someone who has been married, been divorced, not really looking to sign up for that again. But I very much value emotional intimacy and connection and the casual dating does not fit for me. And so I'd love to know, you know, how do you think that situationships can benefit daters with different goals? And what are we possibly missing out on by not being open to connections that feel good to us regardless of the outcome? Pleasure. <laughs> Living a life, yes. <laughs> Living a life that is more pleasurable, you know, full of pleasure. And, you know, some people are real delights to our senses and they make shit partners. Yeah. Some people are great partners, but, you know, there's ways that we connect with them that just don't really align with like our long term goals. I'm not saying anything new. I just think that, like, we have a really hard time grappling with something that feels like it's not directed towards an end goal. So mm-hmm. I I do have my clients create goals because it's important for me as a coach to help them, you know, take steps in the right direction. But, you know, if they do come in to work on finding a long-term partner, number one, you know, they may not actually achieve that in the three months that we work together. Sure. Right. I'm here to give you some skills and some tools to work with. But, you know, hopefully you feel confident to get those things, but it may not happen in the time that we work together. And so, what's available while we are working together? We need relationships. We need to be in dynamic with other people. And that's the thing, too. I, I think we have this idea that we have to be doing all of this self work in order to be perfect for some other idealized person who hopefully has also been doing the self-work to be ready. (laughs) That's me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) To be ready for them, you know, and they're hopefully getting ready for us. And life just doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Um, So like you got to kind of like be a little bit messy and figure out because you can be the most perfect version of yourself. But when you're in dynamic with another person, they give you so much feedback. They act as a mirror. So all the things that we thought we dealt with haven't really been tested until we go into a relationship. And I know that for firsthand. <laughs> um, so we need those relational dynamics to understand what we want. And that's actually what our storyteller gave us at the end was, I know so much more about like how I want to be. I don't want to be with someone who I can't feel that connected to because as I'm sharing more, they're pulling back and I don't feel in the relationship that I can call them out on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because in a, in a good, healthy relationship, that would be part of the dynamic, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I've noticed that this is happening. Like what's going on? You know, I know we haven't defined the terms yet, but you're important to me and I've noticed this trend and that might open a dialogue to, well, I'm hesitant to commit further or, I met someone else or any number of things. Yeah. I always feel like when you live in that tension, you kind of get stuck in that cycle because there's like that fear factor of what will happen when I actually ask these questions because I'm not ready for this to go whatever way than what it is right now. And so it's always like interesting learning how to have those conversations and feeling safe to have those conversations with people 
despite how much time you spend with them. Right. And I think that your point on kind of we need more inputs in order to grow. Mm-hmm. So we, yes, we can talk to our therapist. We can talk to a coach like you. We can talk to our friends. But all of that is hypothetical until you start to actually participate in developing dynamics. And, you know, we came across this article at a time where I realized that I was that this gray area that I had been navigating with someone kind of openly between the two of us, like was a situationship. And one of the things that we were figuring out was he was like, I don't know what I want and I don't want to waste your time. And I was like, I also don't know what I want. And what I know is that since we've been able to have this kind of space, like my brain is like on fire. Like I am learning at a pace that I have not been able to learn in any other context leading up to this. So like, I can't imagine you know, this being a waste of time. And it sounds like the beginning of that last answer for you was saying like, we can be in different places as people, we can want different things from them. And that's not new. And I think the piece that is new, though, or isn't as commonly said is, and that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) The permission to be like, you don't have to protect yourself so much from being like, well, I can't be in something where I care about someone who's not going to give me the ultimate thing. That that's a battle we have between us versus like, That's also maybe just a reality of what's happening, but that can be okay, and you can still have a really nice, enriching connection with someone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. It is okay to be in this gray area and to be uncomfortable and to not know. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Beth, too, of like recognizing when you don't feel comfortable enough to express a need with someone. Yeah. I mean, that's anybody in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in our relationships with friends, our relationships with colleagues, like those are all opportunities to grow. Why do I feel uncomfortable? Oh, I'm afraid of losing this. Well, what is this? Yeah. We haven't defined it yet. It can be what we both want it to be. So I can say the thing. And if they can't meet me in my need, maybe this isn't something that will work for me, Mm -hmm. whether that's a long-term thing or not. Yeah. The more that I learn about this type of relationship, the more agency each individual like really gets to lean into. To me, it kind of like levels out power dynamics in a way if it's collaborative and communicative and positive because like you said, you can be as messy as you want and express all the things that you are feeling, thinking, cycling through. And it's still safe to do that because there isn't this push and pull of, oh, I'm now potentially, well, I mean, you could lose the person, but ultimately that would be a good thing because it just means that this relationship and its boundary lines are not ultimately right for you. Mm -hmm. And so there's just room to have agency and growth and love for yourself and possibly the other individual. Yes. That's the other thing that I think might be a misconception. Like when people find themselves in a situationship and this person isn't quote unquote giving them what they want, mm-hmm. then they just get to like dismiss this person and hate them for all time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, we we do have these experiences with people that are quite beautiful. Like I've been thinking recently about like one of the best kisses I've ever had in my entire life was with somebody who I was in a situationship with. I will always remember that kiss. Very special to me. But at the same time, you know, that end of the relationship was 
messy, you know, weird. Like I don't harbor any ill will towards this person and can recognize the beautiful parts of the way that we connected. I got a trip to Mexico City out of it. I paid for it, but you know what I mean? It was like really fun. Did the kiss happen in Mexico City? No, it didn't. It happened in San Francisco. In my mind, it did. There were some good kisses in Mexico City. That's so good. Well, that's a pretty setting to have some pretty good kisses. In your article, you mentioned a desire for flexibility as a reason why um, situationships are growing in popularity, while also noting that uh, it might not be the right situation for some people. I kind of want to go deeper about like what do you think the factors are that would make or break whether a person in a situationship feels good for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for people who have high anxiety, <laughs> this may not be the best relationship structure for them because going with the flow is like not really possible. You know, I also think that people who tend to find the most sexual enjoyment in a committed relationship mm-hmm. or one in which there's exclusivity, they may find situationships a bit unnerving and unsafe. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the two big ones. You know, I was thinking about this on the way over and I just feel that like there's going to be at some point, I'm, I want to test this theory somehow, but mm-hmm. there's going to be a point in most people's lives if you date more than one person in your lifetime where like you're maybe the one who's kind of moving the situation shit forward because you're not ready or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not sure. And then there's going to be a time when you're on the receiving end of like someone kind of steering the ship in a direction that you're not quite sure about. And, you know, I think that there's probably growth on both sides, no matter what you're experiencing. But yeah, it's kind of how you feel after that I think will kind of tell you whether or not that's a really good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that certainty or commitment is like one way to form a version of like secure attachment or, you know, some security in a relationship. For me, communication is such a big piece of, you know, feeling safe in a, a gray area. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, you know, if we're not having the like what's next conversation in this context, what conversations would be good to have to help navigate an undefined area with someone else? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is really cool about situationships is that you tend to be able to talk about yourself and your past relationships and you know what you like more freely mm-hmm. than you would if you were on a traditional like you know date one, day two, day three, and now we're you know having sex and now we're a couple kind of relationship dynamic. Because it is so amorphous and because you don't know, is this person going to be around or not? I'm just giving them information about me. There's less attachment to that. Sharing with someone, hey, in my past, I've dated people for a few months and then we tend to, you know, define the relationship. That's been my relationship history. And I've noticed that hasn't really happened with us, you know, and I'm cool with that, right? Like just telling them how you feel about what is happening rather than, you know, maybe producing an ultimatum or wondering what's wrong with you because things haven't happened on your timeline. So talking about past expectations, you know, checking in with them about how they feel about you and the relationship. I mean, you know, can there be love there? Yes. It can still exist within an undefined structure. I I just 
think everybody has moments in their lives where they feel love towards another person and that's all that there is. Like it's, it's not a relationship. It's yes. just a feeling of love and that is okay. The world needs more of that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So those are the types of conversations that I think would be really helpful instead of like, where are we going? What is this? It's more like, this is what I'm experiencing and I like it or I don't like it. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Do you like this? Do you not like this? It's pretty helpful. Right. And I loved in the article that you said that it's an opportunity when you're not talking so much about the destination, you can talk about what feels good to you because that's the whole purpose that something should serve at any point, but also especially if it's not, you know, leading somewhere necessarily right. that it actually feels good. So to be able to talk openly and maybe you just practice talking about how how you feel, what feels good to you and getting to engage in that without it's still risky, but maybe lower risk, like you were saying, something that might not be as easy to talk about in a relationship where you are, you know, working toward commitment or, you know, future relationship. Right. Because historically, if someone were to say, Lizzie, I really love spending time with you. What do you think comes next after that? What what happens next? (laughs) Yeah. It's like this expectation of like, what do you want from me? Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. like, what is this conversation about to, where are we about to go? Mm -hmm. And it's just as simple as that. You can be like, Lizzie, I really like spending time with you and then sip your coffee and go about your day. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't mean I'll sit there drinking my coffee for the rest of the day, (laughs) wondering what that means. But (laughs) no, I I absolutely think that the opportunity to experience genuine interest Mm -hmm. from with someone without that being attached to a destination is actually a really beautiful opportunity too. So getting to be open with those and express those feelings without them needing to have a follow-up conversation about, you know, and therefore, would you like to meet my parents this weekend, uh, is maybe not, maybe that's not it. Maybe that's just my fear, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that brings a lot of opportunity uh, for exploration. And I have to imagine that people who are listening might be hearing all this and sound like, wow, that actually is something I haven't considered or I've been in but haven't had the openness to talk about it. And are wondering, you know, like, okay, so how? And so I want to use this opportunity to talk about your book because your book is an amazing exploration and commentary on kind of how to navigate the world of dating, you know, in a way that is supposed to be fun. So tell us a little bit about your book and what we might find when we are reading it. Mm -hmm. Yes, hopefully more pleasure, hopefully more fun. Mm -hmm. The book is sort of laid out as a a roadmap that I tend to use with my clients. So the first part is really about doing the deep dive into what do you want? You know, what are you here for? What is, what does dating mean to you? And how do you want to start this process? The focus of the book is also about how to navigate app-based dating in particular, though I think there are a lot of exercises in the book that can be used regardless of whether you choose to app date or not. But I do help people kind of get examples of what a dating profile would look like if, say, you are married and opening your relationship for the first time or you are looking to hook up and you have a kink. So there's actual like specific examples in there to kind of give you a a view of how to set up a dating profile. The next section is really about connection, how to find it, how to vet the people that you're matching with to make sure that 
they're going to be somebody that you are actually going to enjoy yourself with in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not always guaranteed. Nope. Some no. people are tricky. Yeah. <laughs> they present so well, yeah. um, even when you're messaging with them and then you show up and they're a dud. Uh. <laughs> but that's just part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I talk about that too. I talk mm-hmm. about the the repetitive strain of going on first dates that go nowhere and, you know, what to do about that, how to take care of yourself, how to make a dating plan so that you feel like you're not getting burnt out and you are kind of giving yourself accountability tools to stick with the process Mm because it can be a lot. And the third section is really about going deeper into relationship, giving some communication tools about, you know, how to tell somebody what you like in bed, how to tell someone that you don't think this is going to be a relationship that's going to work for you and how to do that gracefully and hopefully with a lot of care if that person deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there are Great definitely point. sometimes <laughs> when you just need to exit and you might not need to do that so gracefully. And then also the book kind of lands at this place of, okay, now you've maybe found what you're looking for. You know, how do you make the most of that? How do you, you know, think about connection and intimacy within that partnership? Because, that's a whole other journey, as yeah. we all know. And um, hopefully book two will delve more into that part. I love that. Can't yes. wait. <laughs> Cannot wait. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. I've even already had some more like seismic shifts oh, in my good. narratives through this conversation. Great. So everyone, go to myishabattle.com, Check out her services. Check out her podcasts. Buy that book. And it'll be an opportunity for you to learn about more of yourself, but also to be able to embrace relationships. Connection. Connection and pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate (laughs) it. My pleasure. Thank you. We want to end this episode by hearing from our amazing storyteller one final time. We asked him what he thought he missed from this misconnection. He said... Leaving that situation, I got very closed off, specifically to people who were like him, reminded me of him, assuming they wouldn't want anything to do with me. I made that decision for them instead of deciding whether or not I actually wanted to pursue anything with them. We also know that for every misconnection, there's something that can be gained. Our storyteller said, I think I gained an understanding of what type of attachment I want in romantic relationships, even in friendships, or in any relationship. I think I have a different perspective on taking responsibility for myself and allowing others to take responsibility for themselves. This is Misconnections. Thanks for listening. I'm Elizabeth Windham. And I'm Elizabeth Via. Special thanks to this week's guest, Maisha Battle, and our truly amazing storyteller. You know who you are. This episode's story essay was written by Charlotte Beach. The story was voiced by our lovely storyteller. Misconnections is co-hosted, produced, and edited by us, the Elizabeths, Elizabeth Villa and Elizabeth Windham. Special shout out to Kelvin Martinez, Janelle Anima, Rachel McGowan, Trent Venegas, and Daniel Ramirez for their editorial consultations. Our theme music is Feeling by Danielle Musto. Have a misconnection story to share with us? Email us at elizabeths at misconnectionspod.com. And please follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube.